0: One of my favorite movies, and it's my wife's as well, is the movie The Help. How many of you have seen the movie The Help before? Okay, many of you. The movie The Help is such a powerful story, and it involves a really nasty woman by the name Miss Hilly. If you have seen the movie, you know that this woman is an angry, bitter woman. And she treats everybody poorly, especially The Help which were black maids who were hired, obviously, to take care of white families. One of those uh, maids was Abelene, and Viola Davis, who plays Abelene in this movie, just knocks it out of the park. Somehow, she's able to take this punishment from Miss Hilly and the others along the way. She is so good with her kids, she's such a wise woman who understands what's at stake here. But by the end of the movie, Abelene's had enough. And she gets to the point where she has to say something to Miss Hilly because Miss Hilly continues to be angry and bitter and that is leaking out on all of her and her friends. And Abelene gets in her face knowing that this could cost her her livelihood, but she has to say something. And what she says is truly remarkable because she asks Miss Hilly a question in the midst of her discussion with her. It's a question that would have pierced the soul of Miss Hilly. She asked the question, ain't you tired, Miss Hilly? Ain't you tired? What's so moving about that question is somehow she loves her enemy in that moment. She doesn't go off on her. She doesn't tear her down. She asks a question that Miss Hilly has to wrestle with because she needs to understand That how she's treating others, of course, should make her tired. Her anger and her bitterness is ruining people's lives, but the reason she asked the question isn't so much to do with how she's treating others, but what's going on inside of her. Ain't you tired, Miss Hilly, of living this way and having to function with a kind of heart that's bitter and angry all the time? This question isn't just leveled at a person in a book or a movie. It's a question that I want to wrestle with you today as well. Ain't you tired? Ain't you tired of living an angry, bitter life? There's many of us that live with this undercurrent of anger that comes out on a daily basis. That's not just hurting other people, but it's hurting ourselves. Some of us, our anger looks like a tornado. We come in quickly and we get out quickly, but the destruction that we leave behind makes people question who they are, hurts who they are. You leave this destruction behind and you just go on with your life because you just come in and say and do and then you leave while other people's lives are ruined. Others of us, you may say, I don't get angry like that. No, you're right. Your anger is like an ice storm. Everything's frozen around you and you freeze people out of your life through your bitterness, through your resentment. They don't. Hear your words, they feel your anger. Ain't you tired of living that way? Not only are you hurting people that you love the most, it's hurting your soul too, and it's time to change that. We're in the midst of a message series called Wisdom Literature, which is looking at the different wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Learning how we can stop learning things the hard way. Anger is one of those things. And last week, if you were with us, we taught on pride, and anger is really close to pride. And what I want to do is answer three questions with you, and I really believe by the end of our time today, you and I are going to be able to work on this anger problem. And I want to tell you up front, and hopefully we make this case today, everyone has anger. It just looks differently. So what is it? Why must I stop allowing anger to control me? And then why must I start allowing anger to control me? That seems a little backwards, but I want to bring you there just in a few moments. But before we get there, we have to answer the question, what is anger? Tim Keller has this incredible definition on anger that I've been wrestling with and chewing on for the last couple of days. And I thought, man, it's so good. It's just a different angle of it. Tim Keller says, anger is energy released to defend something you love. We are not neutral beings. Our hearts always love someone or something at all times. And to keep things simplistic for us today, there's two different categories that we love at one time. It's either this category or that category. For our hearts are not neutral and can't do both. That first category is myself or yourself we talked about pride last week we make life all about us it's my way my plans my rules you sit up here looking down on people you act like God not just of your own household but the whole world everything revolves around you now a lot of us don't think we live this way because most of us don't wake up and look in the mirror as we're getting ready and say man I love you that would be really creepy. If you do that, um, we need to talk. But many of us act that way. Look at how you live. Look at how you speak. It's all about ourselves. And when we're angry with others, it's to defend ourselves. And it comes out in ways that hurt other people. But there's another category, and we'll call it God and others category. We're either loving ourselves or loving God And And when you love God and others above yourself, you're taking Jesus' commandment seriously when he says to love God and love people. When you love God above yourselves, what you're saying is everything I say, everything I do is to point to who God is. I'm living for his glory, living for his purposes. When I put others above my own needs, what I'm saying is I wanna serve that other people, serve that other person, even if they don't serve me back. I care more about meeting the needs of others than if anyone ever meets my own. And when you're angry in that category, it leads to something incredible. Let me illustrate this with the scriptures. Solomon in Proverbs 29, 11 says, "'Fools vent their anger, "'but the wise quietly hold it back.'" Look at the first part with me, fools vent their anger. If you're only living for yourself, if your energy is going towards defending yourself, when you get angry, you will say and do things to make other people pay. You don't care how it affects them. You don't care how the tornado leads destruction or the ice storms ices people out. It doesn't matter because you want other people to know how you feel. And so you will say things and do things to hurt others even though it's hurting the relationship with that other person. You will vent your anger. You will make sure it comes out, there's no filter, and you will say and do until finally you feel like you feel better about yourself. If you're living for God and others, it looks a little differently. Solomon says, don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Anger does not always have to cross the line. We're allowed to be angry. If somebody hurts you, whether it's a spouse or a boss or a friend or even a stranger, you're allowed to feel that anger. That's a normal emotion to feel. But when you feel like you're about to cross the line and vent that anger and let it come out, you can either do that and take matters in your own hands or you can say, I'm gonna take all of that energy and give it to the Lord and trust him with the results because you know, as well as I know, I'm not really good at being God. God's really good at getting even. When I get even, it hurts other people and it hurts myself. And when you can trust God with that anger, that's when you know you're living for God and others above your own. The problem, though, is 99.9% of the time in my life, and I'm wondering if it's in yours, we handle anger the wrong way, out of our selfish kind of hearts. And it's doing damage. It's the reason why we have to answer this question. Why must I stop allowing anger to control me? If you fast forward into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about anger in a way that is so wise Let me show you what he says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. First of all, he says, get rid of all, and then he will list different kinds of anger. He doesn't say, look, manage your anger. He doesn't say, hey, sometimes you're going to be angry. It's okay. He says you have to get rid of all of it because you can't control it. It will always control you. As much as you want to say, I'm going to do better the next time, you tell me the next time comes around, how much better are you than the time before? If you think you can manage it and you're going to get better, I'm telling you, you never will, and it will continue to wreak havoc on the lives of people that receive it and in your own souls. You can't manage it. You have to get rid of it and eliminate it completely. And Paul is so wise, he doesn't just label anger as harshness. Or saying things you shouldn't. He, he says it's bitterness, it's rage, it's anger, it's harsh words, and it's slander. And then he says, as well as all types of evil behavior. If I were to tell you that murder is evil behavior, I think you and I would agree upon that statement. But Jesus comes along and says, if you are angry in your own heart, and you are bitter, and that anger comes out on another brother or sister, you have committed Murder. When's the last time that we've gotten angry with somebody and we thought to ourselves, I just murdered someone? No, we don't. We excuse it. We justify it. But in God's eyes, it's as evil as murder. It's damaging people that bad and it's damaging yourself that bad. Paul you have to get rid of it. And there's so many different kinds of anger. Which kind do you struggle with? Maybe it's bitterness. Aristotle says bitterness is a resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. I call bitterness being a silent assassin. Because a lot of times you can be bitter and walk around and everything looks great. And you're like the most mild-mannered person. You're loving. But you also hold people like this. And if someone hurts you, oh, they're going to pay. You may not say anything but with your love, with your affection, with your relationship, you will ice them out. It's just as bad as rage. Rage is an outburst of passion. I don't think I have to define that any more than that. Harsh words, G.C. Finley says, are the loud self-assertation of the angry person who will make everyone hear their grievance. You know as well as I, when you're in your homes and the harsh words are flying, you don't care who's around. Windows could be open. (laughs) People could be walking by. Everyone's going to hear what you have to say because someone hurt you. And you are going to get even and you are going to tear that person down because you think that will build yourself up. Slander. This is an interesting one. John Stott says, speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs and so defaming and even destroying their reputation. If you are going around venting to people about somebody else and it's threatening their reputation and it's changing the way people look at that person because you needed to talk to somebody because you needed to vent to someone special or someone that's safe in your life, when you do that, you are committing murder. That's not my words, that's Jesus. It's just as bad as going off on someone. It's just as bad as being bitter because you are ruining the reputation in someone else's eyes and God says, knock it off, get rid of it. You just don't get to go vent to that person and change their perspective too because what you're doing is just as bad as tearing someone down to their face. It's no wonder that Solomon says about anger, hot-tempered people must pay the penalty if you rescue them once, you'll have to do it again. That's a decent rendering of the Hebrew, must pay the penalty. But let's look at the Hebrew of what it really says in its original language. Hot-tempered people carries around punishment. In other words, no one has to correct you when you're angry. No one has to tell you how much You hurt them because you're carrying around that punishment on your own. You are reaping the consequences of your anger when you go around and slander someone, when you go around and say things harshly to someone, when you go around and you're bitter. No one has to correct you. You are already carrying around the pain of what you've done. For example, because of your anger, however way you want to look at it, the harshness or the bitterness and everything in between, because you live that way, there are people that just don't trust you anymore. There are people, and when they see you coming down the hallway, they want to get out because they know when you open your mouth, somehow you're going to tear them down. Oftentimes it's called sarcasm, where we're trying to make jokes at people's expense, but really there's truth there. We're just not bold enough to actually say the truth, so we tear them down through humor. Or we always have to tell people about what they're doing wrong. They want to run so far from you because you're so critical. You know what boggles my mind? If you identify as a Republican and you can't have a conversation with a Democrat, shame on you. And if you're a Democrat and you can't have a conversation with a Republican, shame on you. That kind of political nonsense is called idolatry. I'm not saying you have to agree with the other side. Trust me. I don't agree with most of the other side. I'm not going to tell you which side I am. I'm right here. But there are people, Christians, who are so arrogant, who are so prideful, who are so angry and bitter that they can't even listen and have a conversation with someone. You know what Jesus says about that? It's evil. (laughs) There are people that don't want to be your friend anymore. Not because of the people that found out what you said behind me in their backs. They didn't find out. But the person that you keep talking to, they're thinking to themselves, are they saying the same things about me? There are people in this room who they have a contingency plan for your anger. They know when you're going to lose it, they know they need to get quiet. They know they need to get, go into another room or leave the house. They know that you need to be alone. They're constantly walking on eggshells with you. They are not sure when you're going to lose it or when you're just going to get so angry you're going to shut down everyone else out. Paul says that, or Solomon says that kind of life pierces like swords. You're killing people with your anger. Ain't you tired of living that way? Unfortunately, I know the consequences that I carry around as a result of my anger. Last week, my kids were getting ready and it's always pretty chaotic in the morning, but actually this morning was pretty chill. We have a routine in our home where I'm getting ready in the morning and Paula's getting some things done for our kids and then we flip, I start to do some things and then she can go get ready and then Paula takes the girls to school and then I take the boys to school. Last week, I woke up extremely anxious about something going on in my life and in my job and I'm emptying the dishwasher, I'm already on edge. And where our dishwasher is, you have to go behind me in order to get your shoes, because our shoes are right on the other side of that. And so Hudson, our 11-year-old, goes by as I'm emptying the dishwasher, and he kind of bumps into me on purpose, just to have fun. I went off. To the point where it was like as if I blacked out. I didn't know what I was saying. I didn't know what I was doing. All I know, it was very, very loud. And I was saying things that I wouldn't think about saying to my enemy, let alone my own son. But it didn't stop. Got them ready, took them in the car, then I turned my attention on Micah, whom was not doing anything wrong. He just was sitting there on edge because his dad is just going off. And I started saying things that he did. And then I started bringing up some things they've done weeks ago and months ago, because when you're selfish, you want people to pay the price. I kept going and going and then I looked back in the rearview mirror after I was literally out of breath and just to see the look on their faces. My wife didn't have to tell me I shouldn't have done that. My kids didn't have to tell me I shouldn't have done that. I paid the price of watching heartbreak in my kids' eyes. What's scary is that I could have told you this story and I could have excused it or justified it and probably you'd have said, well, yeah, I mean, Eric, you are having a bad morning, you were already anxious, things were going on at work, and no, you shouldn't have lost it on your kids, but, man, give yourself grace. No, no, I'm not gonna give myself grace. You wanna know why? Because I already make life about me. When you excuse it or justify it, you're defending yourself. How many times have you lost it on someone or iced somebody out and in your mind you replay why that other person was wrong? They were not wrong. You were. My kids did nothing wrong except being kids. I was the one at fault. And what's so scary is what what Solomon says in Proverbs 21, and we looked at this last week, but it applies for anger as well. People may be right in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their heart. After I dropped off my kids, I started to drive, and I usually will be cranking some tunes. If you see me going down 250 to work, you know, I'm usually getting down with my bad self. But that time, I just was silent, and I just thought, my boys had to incur my wrath. (laughs) What kind of picture does that give of not just what a father looks like, but what their heavenly father looks like? And like I try to justify at first, like man, I'm I'm anxious, I have a lot going on and God's like, but Eric, you don't. You never have an excuse to go off on that. In fact, I find that behavior evil and you gotta get rid of it or it's going to kill you because it's already killing your relationship with your sons. There are some of you in this room, because of your anger, whether it's the outburst kind of anger or the bitterness kind of anger, you are hurting people that love you, there is no excuse for it. I don't care. You've made it about yourself and you've treated people as such. And now I still know there's some of you that are saying, okay, but Eric, your kids shouldn't have done that, whatever, you lost them. But what about what other people did to me? What about my father who hurt me growing up? What about my ex that did this? What about this person that's hurt me? I have to get even with them. And what I would tell you is this, I would tell you what they did was wrong and you have a right to be angry and I am so sorry that happened to you and you have a right to feel the way you feel but after that I would take you to what Solomon says in Proverbs he says this if your enemies are hungry give them food to eat and if they are thirsty give them water to drink and some of you are saying what? (laughs) that person that wounded me you want me to bless them? the answer is yes You want to know why? Solomon says, for the other people, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads and the Lord will reward you. When you bless your enemy and not get angry at them, but you give that anger to the Lord and you let that person be dealt with, you're heaping burning coals of shame on their head. And I know that doesn't probably make a lot of sense uh, in our modern language. And so Tim Keller, who's smarter than me, puts it this way. Our opponents may find our kindness towards them to be painful. They want confirmation that their contempt for us is justified, and that kind of behavior robs them of it. There is nothing worse than when I'm angry, especially with Paula, right here, <laughs> and I, when I say things and I do things, I'm ready for her to come back at me, because then it's time to put on the boxing gloves, let's go, and she doesn't respond. Or she'll just somehow overlook it, or bless me. I hate it, because I feel like such a jerk. (laughs) I feel such shame for that, and when you do that with somebody else, they want you to feel pain, and when you return the favor, they are now justified, but when you don't, oh my goodness, you are doing more damage to them than your anger ever would, and it's the good kind of damage. And the other reason I would tell you that you shouldn't get angry no matter what, at least take your anger out on them no matter what they've done, is because let me ask you this. How is your anger helping you? It may me feel good in the moment to respond with a text message or to say those words or to continue to replay in your mind what they did and you can ice them out of your lives, but is it truly leading to freedom? There are so many of us that are tired because we continue to react and we continue to respond and it's killing us. The well-known quote that says, bitterness is taking poison and hoping the other person dies. That other person may be hurt, maybe not, but all you can control is yourself. And there's some of you in this room that are dying. Ain't you tired? Ain't you tired of hurting other people? Ain't you tired of hurting the people that God has given you to love? I am. Ain't you tired of allowing bitterness and resentment to keep you from reconciliation? The same reconciliation that God offers us through Jesus? See, there's two kinds of anger. There's one that controls us, and we need to stop it. There's another kind of anger that must control us, and we need to start it. You see, anger, again, is energy released to defend something you love. When someone hurts you, you defend yourself by responding, outwardly or inwardly. It hurts you, it hurts other people. But the selfless kind of anger is the opposite of deconstructive, it's constructive. When you love God and others more than you love yourselves, then you're in the right space to get angry and you become angry at the things that God gets angry about. And if you read the scriptures, you realize God gets angry at people who oppress other people. Not only does he fight for the oppressed, but he is raging against the oppressor to the point where over and over in Scripture we read, they will be judged for it either on this earth, but especially on the next one. And in God's anger for the oppressed, he turns to us as his believers and says, start getting angry as well. Start getting angry with what I'm angry about and let it lead to action. Some of us are so self-consumed in this room, we can't see what God gets angry about because we are so upset at everyone else for how they're treating us. Can we just get over ourselves? And can we start fighting the right fight? Start fighting for what makes God angry so that we can honor him with our lives, so we can start loving people more than we love ourselves? Solomon, he puts it this way in Proverbs fourteen thirty one: those who oppress the poor literally insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. When you and I get angry that there's people in our own communities who can't eat. You should see the number of people that call the church every week because they don't have food. They don't have clothing. They don't have shelter. When's the last time that we got angry about that instead of the person that pulled out in front of us on the way to church? You might think it's funny. It's not. Because all we do is make it about ourselves and we are robbed a chance to live for Jesus and to get all of that energy we are using to get bitter against other people and vent about other people and use it for the good that God wants us to fight with. Isaiah, who was a prophet within 17 verses, tells the Israelites, learn to do good. Here's how you can do good. Seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of the orphan, fight for the rights of the widows. We should be so angry that we are learning how can I do good with that anger. We should be so angry that there are kids in our communities and our worlds that don't have dads and moms. Do something about it. There are widows in our congregation and in our communities in our world that don't have a spouse anymore and they're left behind, they don't have a voice. We need to be their voice. Do something about it. There are the sexually oppressed in our communities and in our country and world. We need to fight for them. And while we can't do everything, if we just sit on the sidelines and do nothing, we are as complicit as those who are the oppressed or the the oppressor. We're just as guilty. Because they're doing something wrong and we could do something right about it and we're just sitting there stewing about what someone's done to us instead of saying, God, what are you angry about? Let me do something about that. Imagine how free you would, imagine the freedom you would have in your life if you just stopped looking at everything through your own lens. You don't have to get angry about everything. There's an undercurrent of anger in so many of us. It just comes out all the time. If you could stop that and have an undercurrent of God's love that you have to fight for those who can't fight for themselves, oh my goodness, it would change your life. As a church, we try to do that as best as we can. We want to get angry on behalf of those in our community who don't have food, who would be considered poor, That's why we have a monthly curbside carryout where we're bringing food and supplies for people that can't just go to the grocery store and swipe their credit card. We did a drive a few weeks ago called Warming the Community. Let me tell you, as the Church of Norwalks and Dusky and Port Clinton, what happened. We were so angry that we brought in 63 adult coats, 121 kids' coats, 806 pairs of socks, and 80 pairs of gloves. We are so angry about it. We have to do something about it. We want to get angry on behalf of the poor in the world. That's why we've been supporting our village in Buruni for years and years. We have purchased 130 houses for the poorest of the poor in the world so they don't have to live in mud huts anymore. Infant mortality has gone from 70% to almost zero because we got angry that there's people around the world that don't have anything, and we did something about it. And now we're in the midst of adopting a brand new village of Batwa people led by our own elder Dave Baumgartner so we can do something about it. We get angry and we want to fight for the unborn. We want to protect them. And so we had a baby bottle drive a couple months ago and between all three churches we filled those baby bottles to the tune of $12,000 that we were able to give to pregnancy centers in the communities so they can get angry and fight with our funds as well. You know what's really cool, but heartbreaking at the same time? This past Wednesday, right in front of these stairs, was a funeral. And the funeral had a casket this big. Zach and Savannah Cummings, who come to our 9 a.m. service, who are faithful servants of the church in many ways, were getting ready this past Thursday to deliver their little girl, Emma, At 39 weeks, she went in for her ultrasound, and the ultrasound tech couldn't find the heartbeat. The doctor came in, couldn't find the heartbeat one week before she was going to deliver her first baby. The next day, I was sitting with the family in the waiting room as Savannah had a C-section and delivered her baby, who came out gone. After that, they they had to plan a funeral, and they couldn't, Believe how much the expense was to have to bury your own little baby, your own little child. So in the midst of their unspeakable grief, Zach and Savannah got angry and they started a foundation in Emma J's name called, the website's emmaj.org that raises money for families who otherwise couldn't have a proper burial for a child that died too young. What boggles my mind is that through their own grief, they didn't make it about themselves. They made it about God and other people. And look what good's coming out of it. If they can do that, shouldn't we? Ain't you tired? Ain't you tired of living for yourself? Just getting angry all the time? Aren't you tired of carrying around bitterness all the time? It's time that we get angry about the right things. In John chapter 11 Jesus' good friend Lazarus died. And as he approaches where Lazarus is being held, he interacts with Lazarus' sister Mary. And, we, and John records this in John chapter 11. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. After that, it said Jesus wept. But the emotion that Jesus felt when he saw Lazarus in the tomb, he was angry, Why? because life wasn't supposed to end that way. We were supposed to live forever, and then sin got in the way that caused death. And when Jesus saw the death of his friend, he got so angry, it led him to action. And he got so angry that he took on shame, shame, sin, guilt, death itself onto himself, died on the cross so that we can have life. Talk about living a life in God's name for the good of others. So I think it would be appropriate as we end our time to take communion together to honor Jesus for what he's done for us. So if you take out your communion, if you don't have one, raise your hand and I'll make sure one of our awesome greeters will pass that out to you. Take the top layer off if you don't mind and just hold this little wafer in your hand. This represents anger. Anger turned for the good of others. Jesus was so angry that he took upon the cross and died and his body was broken for us. Let's do this to remember Jesus together. If you push that little tab down and then pull up, this, blood, this cup represents the blood of Jesus that he spilled for us because he was so angry that life ended in death, so he wanted to make sure that we could live forever. That blood represents A new relationship with us, with God, because of Jesus. Let's do this to remember him. As we close our time together, I'll I'll lead in prayer, but I just want to give you a moment of silence, and I just want you to ask yourself one of the two questions. What must I stop getting angry about? And what must I start getting angry about? And I'll close in prayer, so take some time for yourself. God, for too long, we have justified and excused our anger. It's always somebody else. God, through your word today, would you finally open our eyes? It's not other people, it's me. It's always me. Help us to stop excusing it and help us to stop it by turning our eyes onto you and to others and to get angry about the things that matter. Let our words and our prayerful actions, our finances, everything rally around what is right so we can fight the fight that you're fighting, God. God, we ask for forgiveness for all the ways that we've hurt our own families, our own friendships, how much anger we've brought into the workplace or into this world, God, and we repent of that and we ask you to give us a new heart this morning. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Have a great Sunday.